From the Drunken UX Podcast, I am Michael Feenan, and this is Real-Time Overview. first story today comes to you from Fast Company Design, which is one of, well, literally everyone reporting on the fallout coming on the heels of Snapchat's recent app update. Change.org is hosting a petition that currently has over a million user signatures and growing from folks who are unhappy with Snapchat's update. Fast Company does describe in the article the issue with the design update, if you aren't familiar, which centers around the path that users take to get to content. Snapchat is also trying to algorithmically present content to you from your friends rather than the tried-and-true, time-based sort everybody was used to. Now, what's maybe the most interesting thing to watch in this story is how Snapchat decides to respond and if they will stick to their guns on the design, which seems pretty likely, and then to kind of determine if this is a case of people just not liking something because it's different, or if it really is genuinely bad. CNBC is reporting that Facebook's Protect feature is pushing a VPN product, Onavo, that they both control and are using to track your user behavior. Now, I tend to give Facebook a lot of leeway in what they choose to do because it is their platform, but this idea that they are pushing a product that they didn't disclose as something they own is sort of downright predatory, especially in a world where people are increasingly concerned about the destruction of net neutrality. While I do support people making an informed decision about whether or not to use a VPN and which one, I absolutely cannot stress enough that this is probably not one you want to consider. If you have installed the Onavo product, take a look at it, consider uninstalling it, and look at other VPN providers that have a tried and true history and meet the requirements that you have as a user. Google is informing developers that as of July, they will be actively marking unsecure sites in the address bar. Now this is a change that has been a long time coming and they have been warning developers about. In fact, they've also reported that in the past year, they've seen SSL-based traffic growing in Chrome to 68%. Enabling SSL on your websites is much easier than it used to be. If the process of going to a certificate authority, getting a certificate, installing it on your server, if all of that sounds like a daunting process, I certainly recommend looking up a tutorial on the Let's Encrypt platform if you want to do it for free and keep it simple. I'll make sure to include one of those links in the show notes, so if that's of interest to you, go check it out. Nathan Hunt writes in UX Collective about the persona paradox. This is something that happens when business goals are allowed to be projected onto personas. This leads to a less than human consideration influencing the persona's personality. He writes that the personas are written with product-specific monomania because the project goals require that people be incredibly invested in the product. 
He ends his article with some helpful suggestions to improve your persona creation process. Absolutely, go check it out. There's some great stuff there. I've also made it a point myself to encourage people to consider creating antagonistic personas for their products. This would be a persona for users that are forced to use your product or don't like it or are actively having challenges with it, rather than somebody who wants to be there or wants to find success with it. PC Mag is reporting that Facebook is testing a downvote option for flagging abusive comments. The current tests appear to not necessarily be about balancing the like feature, but rather provide a better path for reporting bad content. Odds are, I think we might see that naming system change based on some of the folks who've tweeted about this and, and had some understandable confusion about that sort of language. What Facebook is trying to do is give people a better way to react to content that makes them angry or frustrated rather than the current response most people have, which is basically to just argue. Time will tell us if this feature is going to get into broader testing or if it's even eventually going to become a real feature, but certainly something worth watching anytime Facebook decides to make significant changes to the way we interact with content on the feed. The folks at Mozilla have announced that they will indeed refile their suit against the FCC to protect net neutrality. Now, they're just one of many large tech organizations that are looking to challenge the FCC order from late last year. They originally filed a suit that was thrown out. They were asked to refile it once the order was on the books. Now that that is about to happen, they are in fact following up and, and proceeding with their promise to file that lawsuit. On top of that, Mozilla is also urging people to be sure to contact their representatives to express their support for new net neutrality legislation. Gizmodo is reporting that Google is doubling down on AMP, their system for serving accelerated mobile pages. The new specs that Google has released include directions for implementing AMP with a system called Stories, along with features for email. The AMP for email in particular is designed to add more functionality for Gmail users that currently isn't possible with traditional HTML email, such as form submits or event responses, or perhaps even real-time event updates. Both of these implementations pose a number of questions, from how the story content will impact search results for brands, to how non-Gmail users will experience AMP-powered email. To this developer, AMP's usefulness it eh, kind of remains limited at this point. It's not bad, it's something to consider, it's not hard to add on to a lot of stuff, but the value is still, I think, a little bit questionable. My advice is to take a wait-and-see approach to stories and email implementations before jumping too far into it to find out exactly what the value will be. Finally, Dennis Deacon over at Lirio Designs tackles the question of how you distinguish between accessibility and inclusive design. His explanation breaks down how accessibility is sort of the more mechanical and transactional process that ensures you meet guidelines and maintain compliance. Um, this often happens after something is made, while inclusive design is the process by which you plan UI and UX in such a way that accessibility and usability factor in throughout the creation process of a system. A good example for this is considering, for instance, how your platform comes across for folks with cognitive disabilities. 
This is something that can be hard to build a spec around, and it's even harder to measure from a compliance standpoint. One of the goals of inclusive design is to decrease the amount of effort that goes into accessibility compliance after the fact, something that a lot of developers and a lot of systems get caught up in after a release. I would also add that part of inclusive design is the process by which we teach new developers to think about their tools. Think about them as more than just code and colors on a page, but to actually take into account that whole concept of the user experience that goes into what you're building. Thanks for listening to Real Time Overview. I am Michael Feenan. Be sure, if you haven't already, click the little subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Our next episode of the Drunken UX podcast will be dropping on Monday. We'll be talking about restaurant users, from menus to third-party tools. It'll be a good time, and I encourage you to tune in.